Shalom, and welcome back to our discussion of Shemitah's inner message. We've been discussing the fact that the various parshiot of the Torah present Shemitah seemingly in a different light. We noted that the fact that the Torah seems to mention Shemitah in more than one place would seem to indicate that Shemitah is not only one-dimensional, but it is multifaceted. The purpose of Shemitah is not only a restrictive year, but it is a year which is supposed to give us greater outlook of what the purpose of Judaism is all about, what our economy is supposed to be, how we're supposed to look at life, and how, as we mentioned, we're supposed to return to Gan Eden. We mentioned that Parshat Bahar, which is the primary Parsha which deals with the Halachot of Shemitah, or as we noted, it never refers to the year as Shemitah, but rather to a year of Shabbat Haaretz, a year of a Shabbat, a year of a Sabbath. This Parsha and Parshat Bahar describes the mitzvah of la'ochla, the idea of eating the fruits of the produce of the Shemitah year. And we noted that this term la'ochla brings us back in time to Adam Arishon. It continues again at the time of Noah. And then it is mentioned again by the falling of the man in the desert. Only to be repeated for the seventh time in the Torah. When, in the context of the mitzvah of eating the produce of the Shemitah year, and we discuss the possibility, or our conviction, that Shemitah is, to a certain degree, supposed to bring us back to the life of Gan Eden. The life of Gan Eden was where Adam Arishon was given the responsibility of to be in the Garden of Eden, to partake of all the fruits, including the Eitz HaChayim, and to be limited not to eat from the Eitz HaDat Tovarah. But the requirement of La'avdu L'Shamra could not have been physical work as it was too easy. The Torah says only afterwards, after Adam eats from the tree of knowledge, from the Eitzhada Tovara, only afterwards is Adam Arishon told, that you will eat by the sweat of your brow and there will be thorns and thistles which will grow and make it difficult. Adam Arishon did not have to work hard in Gan Eden. After all, Gan Eden was surrounded by four rivers. Gan Eden had Anachal Yotzei Eden, Lashkot Gan. Gan Eden was the easy life. Adam Arishon did not last in Gan Eden. Adam Arishon's son, as we saw, Cain, killed his brother Hevel, and we saw that their difference in professions was according to Rav Hirsch and others an indication of the difference in their natures. Cain was a man of kinyan, a man of acquisition. He sought to control the world. He wanted all the agricultural land. He wanted to build up the land while in the process to really build up an inflated image of himself. And he killed his brother Hevel the shepherd. Afterwards, we find that Cain is not the only individual involved in agriculture to fail to succeed spiritually. Who continues this path? None other than Noah, the one who the next La'ochla is written by. Noah was an impressive individual, Tzadik Hayab Adorotav, this week's Parsha. But yet, Noah, after the flood, Noah decides to plant, and he plants none other than a vineyard. What the Chatham Sofer pointed out might have been a very noble beginning. Unfortunately, he did not succeed. Noah was taken by the ground 
he ate from the vineyard he was intoxicated and the rest as we shall say is history this idea clearly is understood why Avram Avinu as he returns to Eretz Yisrael left he goes to the land of Israel and according to the Midrash he is even fascinated by the work ethic of the locals living in the land of Israel but Avram Avinu chooses a nomadic life Avram Avinu goes the length and the breadth of Eretz Yisrael he goes to the entire length and breadth and he makes an acquisition on behalf of his children over the land of Israel but he does not seek to acquire and to build land Avram Avinu continues as a shepherd this is continued by the rest of our forefathers although Yitzchak the one who represents that future connection in the Jewish people to Eretz Yisrael Yitzchak the one who never left the land Yitzchak chooses also to plant and his planting is met with great success a hundredfold a hundredfold more than he might have thought he would be able to attain but Yaakov Avinu goes back to shepherding and so do his sons and it's only Yosef's vision of a future of the Jewish people Yosef's vision of a future where the Jewish people are going to return to the land of Israel and to be involved in agriculture it was that which scares off his brothers his brothers men who realize that at this point we can only be shepherds we can work on cultivating and caring for the concerns of the animal but if we build the land what will happen to us we're not ready but Yosef's vision is going to be realized Yosef's vision is the future of the Jewish presence in the land of Israel and as we noted it is specifically through the mitzvot hatliot ba'aretz those unique mitzvot agricultural mitzvot which only apply in the land of Israel which present the ability to be involved in an acquisition of the land but with an eye towards HaKadosh Baruch and we noted how this term la'ochla which appears in these various places is essentially the ticket to understanding how even living in the land of Israel and even when not receiving mon min ha-shamayim hinei anochim amtir lachem lechem min ha-shamayim as is said by the by the mon where HaKadosh Baruch Hu says I'm going to provide by raining down for you bread from the heavens even when that, that does not occur as the Jewish people coming into the land of Israel are going to have to work hard there's going to be nature nature which has to be nurtured you are going to not live by man min but the purpose of the Jewish people and the ticket to the successful settlement of Eretz Yisrael is the recognition that our working the land is not much different than the man min true the matar the rain which is going to come is not the rain of man the rain of heavenly bread but in order for us to get hamotzi lechem in aretz in order for us to bring forth bread from the ground which involves not only the planting but the working and the grinding all the malachot of the sidura depat the first set of malachot on Shabbos the eleven actions which are necessary in order to be able to arrive at bread these actions have to be performed with the recognition that it's really Hashem who's moti art. that's the bracha that we make baruch atah Hashem we recognize God as the source of all blessing the one who is moti art. it's not us why? Because in order for things to grow, we need rain. The rain is lematar shamayim tishtemayim. 
It's that heavenly rain which Baruch Hashem has started to flow this previous week, right after we started mentioning Mashiva Ruach Hashem, this heavenly rain which is an indication of a divine smile, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides rain, and that rain is actually what lets things grow. So let's think about this for a moment. Is this really a return to Gan Eden? Is this really a return to what we were originally familiar with in Gan Eden? True. As the Torah itself says, when recognizing the differences between the land of Israel and where the Jewish people have been previously, there are two places mentioned. Last time we spoke about the differences between the Jewish people in the land of Israel and the time of their sojourning in the desert when they ate Mon Menashemai. However, the Torah also distinguishes between the Jewish people's time in Eretz Yisrael and their time in Mitzrayim. The Jewish people, when living in Mitzrayim, saw what it meant to have a river which provided all the means for the planting. What was all the means for the planting? The Nile River had to be worked hard. If canals were built every year, so then things would be able, water would be able to be channeled throughout the land of Egypt and things would be able to grow. If you look, you can even take a look on Google. I did it myself. The average rainfall in Egypt is almost nothing. Egypt is not so far geographically from the land of Israel, but believe it or not, they get almost no rain. The land of Israel just slightly, slightly above. The rainfall is different every year. Because Lamatamaim Tishtemaim, as the Psukim say, God's eyes are always on the land of Israel. He was always looking. And he is always trying to see what level of deserving the Jewish people have for rain. Why is this so? Why is it so necessary for there to be such a grave distinction between the way in which the Jewish people lived in Egypt and the way in which they lived in Israel? I'd like to present a basic idea and then to present some sources for it and why, in our opinion, this is seemingly so essential for the understanding of the Shemitah year. And that is as follows. Egypt, to a certain degree, is very similar to the Garden of Eden. After all, the Garden of Eden had a nachal, it had a river, it had more than one, to be able to go and provide all the necessary means for working in Gan Eden. All a person's reign needs would be virtually minimal, if at all. That is very similar to Egypt. Egypt has the canal. Egypt has the Nile River and the canals which are built to provide an irrigation system for the entire country. However, Eretz Yisrael is not supposed to be that type of return to Gan Eden. Eretz Yisrael is returned to Gan Eden of Le'ovdol Le'shomro, where a person's involvement in the physical world is based upon the recognition that physical success is brought about by spiritual accounting. It is Adam Arishon who brought rain to the world. As the Pasuk says, There was a mist which came from the ground that was not fed from the Nacha. And how did this rain come? The Psukim say, there was no rain, there was no Matar. Why? 
because Vadam Ain Man was not there to work the land. But what was this working of the land? asked Rashi in Parsha Parashi. What was this working of the land if after all there was no there was no need to work hard in order to be able to have growth. And therefore Rashi says that this Avodah is Avodah Tashem. This Avodah is the mitzvah of Avodah Shebelev. The mitzvah of Tefillah of Davni. It was only when Adam Arishon saw the need for rain and he davened that it started to rain. Gan Eden had the ability that all of one's physical needs could be supplied by the Nachal. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu preferred that it not be the Nachal which provides, but it's L'Ovdo L'Shamro. It's man working spiritually rather than man working physically by working to build canals to enable the land, to be enable the river to be able to provide <coughs> the means of water for allowing everything to grow. And we see this in numerous places. And in fact, all the way from the time of Avram Avinu, when Avram comes to the land of Israel, Lech he leaves his land, he leaves everything, he leaves the financial climate that he is familiar with. And he comes to the land of Israel. But after being in the land of Israel, he's faced with a famine. And Avram Avinu leaves Eretz Yisrael and goes to the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt did not have a famine. Why? Simply because it had the Nile River. They were able to build their canals. They worked hard. But they were able to have enough for things to grow. For some reason, things in Eretz Yisrael, there was no rain. Avram Avinu goes down to the land of Egypt. Some, among them the Ramban, it's not very fond of Avram Avinu leaving at this time. But certainly... What Avram Avinu saw in the land of Egypt was something which was meant as an additional challenge. Avram Avinu not only had to deal with Pharaoh wanting to take his wife, but Avram Avinu had to look at the superpower of the day. He goes into Egypt and he sees the financial climate. He sees the success of the agricultural society of Egypt. And you can only imagine how much Avram Avinu has to look and say, Maybe I should do that. Why is Why is the chosen land the land of Israel? Why is it not the land of Egypt? And even if Avram Avinu is thrown out of the land of Egypt because Parah doesn't want him there, if he finds out that Sarai is really Avram's wife, but when Avram Avinu comes back to the land of Egypt, logic would dictate what should Avram Avinu want to do? He should want to be able to create that type of climate that type of financial climate in the land of Israel. And don't think it wasn't possible. Not only was it not possible, but it would seem to be that this is actually what overtook Lot. Lot was Avram Avinu's nephew. And when Lot came to Eretz Yisrael, Lot was seemingly in complete partnership with Avram Avinu. The Torah describes Avram Avinu coming with Sarai and with Lot. There seems to be no distinction between them. However, when Avram Avinu leaves Egypt, Lot is harder to find. The Lot Imohanegba. Lot is coming up in the south. Lot is having difficulty achieving 
that same sense of pride after seeing Egypt. Egypt is this financial superpower. They have a nachal. They have a river. They don't have to rely on divine providence. They don't have to rely on rain. And Lot's shepherds starts fighting with Avram Avinu's shepherds. Chazal explained that the fight was he wanted to eat from the land. His shepherds wanted them to eat from the land. Let's start planting. Let's start building an Egyptian economy in the land of Israel. And Avram Avinu refuses. Avram Avinu says to Lot, we have to part ways. You choose where to go. And can you imagine where Lot chooses? Lot chooses stone. We're used to thinking that Lot chooses stone despite its wickedness. But the Torah tells us very clearly, what is it about stone that was so fascinating? Stone was Kegan Hashem, Ke'eretz Mitzrayim. Stone had an achal, it had a river. Stone had financial stability. And even more than stability, it had financial success. The people who lived in stone were rich. They might have worked hard. They brought the nachal. But it was Kigan Hashem. It was almost a return to Gan Hashem, to Gan Eden, the Garden of God. But for some reason, Avram is not interested in going there. And Lotus. The fact that Avram Avinu, wanting to come back from Egypt, not wanting to go to stone, is seemingly an indication of what he saw in Egypt made him sick. Avram Avinu saw a land of acquisition, a Darwinian struggle for existence, survival of the fittest. He saw a terrible, unjust society. And Avram Avinu was convinced Eretz Yisrael is a superior land. It's a land of divine providence. It's the land where I want to be. Lot goes to the one place in Eretz Yisrael which is described as Mitzrayim. Kigan Hashem Ke'eretz Mitzrayim. As the aspects of garden, the Garden of Eden that can be found in the land of Egypt. And their differences, their quarrel, should not be understood merely as a quarrel, but rather something deeper. Nechama Leibowitz points out, Our sages of old did not regard the quarrel between the shepherds referred to here as merely an economic or political one. The Torah devotes space to this quarrel for a deeper reason. Their strife symbolized the opposition between the world of Avram and between one who wished to be a part of it, but did not wholeheartedly share the moral principles and the outlook of the patriarch referred to as he will command his children and his household after him. They shall keep the ways of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Avram Avinu was driven by Tzedek Umishpah. Lot was driven by money. And therefore, the Midrashim points out Nechama Leibowitz that describe how Avram's animals were muzzled so that they would not graze in others' fields, but Lot's animals were not, is an indication of a deeper, deeper split between them. Avram was committed to ensuring that the economy would be built upon the principles of Tzedek Mishpat and a recognition that a different type of economy is necessary for that ideal. While Lot was driven by the financial success that ultimately brought him to stone, where nothing would come in the path of an individual who wanted money. Similarly, Rav Salavechik states as follows, With Avram's departure from Egypt, 
Lot was a new individual. Avram had reared Lot and certainly tried to implant his wealth and shung into him. Egypt was the world's most advanced country, and Avram was a shepherd. Lot was completely overwhelmed by the stupendous Egyptian culture, the civilization and technology. He could not re- resist the influence of the environment. Here is the acid test of a Jew, says Rav Salavich. Can he resist environmental pressures? Can he withstand the impact of a culture that is materially great, but morally and ethically very primitive? In short, says Rosalavechik, Avram lost his disciple while in Egypt. Lot's acquisition of the land involved leaving Avram and what he stood for. When he lifted his eyes, he saw the pasture lands of stone, unlike Avram, who lifted his eyes to see Har Hamoria, the place of the future Mikdash. This is the sad story of Lot's falling and being driven by the passion he saw in Egypt. But what could be bad? If the Torah describes Stom as Kigan Hashem, Ke'eretz Mitzrayim, isn't that an amazing thing? It's like the Garden of Eden. So seemingly, it's like the Garden of Eden, but in a falsified manner. The Garden of Eden had a Nacha. It had a river. Lashkodet Agan. And it could provide all the means of a sprinkler system of irrigation for all that needed to grow in the Garden of Eden. But Adam was, was charged with Lo'avdo, the Shamra. HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands that the Garden of Eden can be a Garden of Doom. If a person does not work and if a person does not recognize that he has to take part, an active part, in building the land, but with an understanding that that's not done primarily in the physical manner, but that's done through the spiritual path of one who is committed to a spiritual mission that allows things to grow based upon the principles of divine providence. And had Adam Arishon continued in this path, had he not eaten from the Eitzadat Tovarah, so life would be easy in this manner. One could easily recognize how his spiritual pursuits bring about financial success how he has all he needs in the Garden of Eden. However, Adam HaRishon followed the path of the Nachash and ate from the tree. Why? The Pirkei de Rebliezer that we quoted notes that that was none other than the angel Samach Mem who possessed the Nachash for fear that it would be so easy for Adam HaRishon, for man, to achieve such great heights if all he had to do was in the spiritual sense. And therefore, what happened? Adam HaRishon was kicked out of Gan Eden. And now it would be much more difficult. And we chase the chain of events, what would continue in the life of Yaakov, Yosef's future dream. But ultimately, the chance of coming back to Gan Eden would be by following the mission of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov in the way of settling the land with tzedek u'mishpat, settling the land with a recognition of ki et nena, that it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving us this land, with the recognition of the spiritual power that lies behind the land of Israel. And that is what the mitzvah of Shemitah, of Shabbat Haaretz, Vaita Shabbat Haaretz lachem lo'ochlo, teaches us in no uncertain terms. Our return to the land of Israel, Israel is very different than our sojourning in Egypt. There, you had the Nile, but 
that's the life of a nachash. That's the life of a snake who has no connection to God. He lives his existence not davening for rain, but waking up early in the morning, going to bed late at night, working to irrigate his fields for the sole purpose of financial success, which ultimately brings about human detesting. A detestable existence. Eretz Yisrael, on the other hand, is It's where our recognition of of working the land with the recognition of who really provides the rain. That the rain is nothing different than mon min True. Here we make the bracha of amotzi lechem in aretz, unlike the mon which is described by the Torah as mon min hashamayim. Lechem min hashamayim, the bread of the heavens. However, we recognize that our bread from the land comes from God. And it's this recognition which allows us to be a part of the Shemitah year. The Shemitah year is the exact opposite of stone. Kigan Hashem Keretz Mitzrayim. Stone did not accept visitors. Stone locked out anyone who did not achieve on their own financial success. Stone felt that their financial success of living around the Nacha, their pasture lands, were the ticket to being in control of others. They would not share with others. Midat stone is sheli, sheli. That which I own is mine. You might say, of course, that which you own is yours. But if done in a way of midat stone where a person says it's mine because I achieved it, because it's mine. So that recognition is completely antithetical and it's a cause for destruction. Like what ultimately happened to Stom and Amora. Pure, total annihilation and destruction. As opposed to Avram Avinu's continued presence in the land of Israel through his children. Through us. Lizaracha et Mena. How does this express itself? The Shemitah year comes and as we described in Parsha Mishpatim, Parsha Mishpatim describes the Shemitah year Vashvi Tishmetenwin Tashta where a person abandons his ownership of the produce. And who eats the produce? The poor, the poverty-stricken of your nation are going to eat and partake of your produce. And for one year, out of seven, a person is going to have to recognize we are not people of stone. Sheli is not Sheli, but Sheli Shelcha. That which I think I own is actually yours. It belongs to the poor. If you look at Parsha Mishpatim, there is no mention of the owners eating from the field at all. All those who eat are the poor and the Chayot HaSadah. Parsha Bahar, which focuses on Vaita Shabbat Art Lachem La'ochlo, presents a different picture of the Shemitah year, as we already noted. But now we'll just review there it describes not the Shemitah year, but the Shabbat year of the land. Shabbat Ha'aret, Shabbat is mentioned seven times. And it's there that the description does not focus on the fact that <clears throat> the produce is permitted to all. In fact, there's no mention of that in an explicit manner, only implicitly. The focus is on the land, Shabbat Ha'aret. The land will rest. And the limitations of work that are given to a person you cannot plant in your field nor can you prune the trees of your vineyard 
the, in Parshat Mishpatim, there's a description of three different types of areas that have to be abandoned. The produce has to be abandoned. The Sadeh, the Kerem, and the olive groves. These, the Sadeh, the Kerem, and the olive groves represent the three types of primary produce at that time. Dagan, Tirosh, V'yitzhar. Grains, grapes, produce, and olive oil. Olive. While in Parsha Bahar, the focus is two primary types of planting. The Sadeh and the Kerem. The Sadeh is representative of all different types of fields in which there is a physical, excuse me, in which there is a plant life which grows directly from the ground. A kerem, a vineyard, is the prototype for tree-bearing fruits. These are the limitations of a person expressing his ownership by trying to build the land, by trying to further his kinyan on the land during the Shemitah year. Parshat Bahar, the focus is on man's relationship to God. While Parshat Mishpatim, the focus is on man's relation to fellow man. And the Mechilta that we discussed in earlier Shiurim focuses, hones in on this difference. Which one is it? Who's the one eating the fruit? But for our purposes now, the issue is much bigger. Shemitah, Shabbat Haaretz, the seventh year, everything which happens, while unique dimensions are focused on a different parshiot, the Shemitah year is a year of totally relooking at our entire settlement in the land of Israel and our entire outlook on life. In next week's lesson, we're going to describe some of the Tamiya mitzvot brought by the various Rishon. And we'll note that the Tamiya mitzvot can be grouped into a couple, into a few different categories, but even those categories, parts of them are focused on in different parshiot in the Torah. And the reason being, because Shemitah's full dimension, full outlook at our existence is something which the Jewish people have been waiting for for many years. Baruch Hashem, now we're in the year of Shabbat HaAretz, and we have the ability not only to observe its mitzvot, but also to recognize and inculcate its message. Bye-bye.